Hello and welcome to Deep Impact, a proud member of the Doof Network where we dive deep into Wildbo's most spooky work five years on. Coming up next is Elliot Diebold. And that was Ruben Morehouse. And we are back to talk about Breach 3.5. Um, yes. So this chapter kicks off right where the last chapter ended. Blake has uh, just left Leanne's house and he is walking through the cold wearing rubber boots that he stole. Uh, so good <laughs> karma there. Oh, I didn't. I didn't even think of that till you just mentioned it right now. But you're right. That's, I mean, I, I guess hopefully he recovers that by you know at the end of the chapter he tells Andy to take him back. Hopefully, yep. Hopefully that well, yeah, lessens sure. the Maybe impact. Cancel it out. Maybe not cancel it out, but diminish it. I don't think Blake was too worried about karma. I mean, <laughs> he did like destroy their library. Um, yeah. I I like the start to this chapter. So we just had the kind of intense heist in the last you know two chapters, mm. and this one is like. At the end of last chapter, it was like, okay, that was a successful mission to an extent, right? Like they didn't, yeah. They, they delayed the uh, the council meeting by up to a week. Apparently, um, we'll get to that later. <laughs> uh, but it 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 felt like a win. Um, but this chapter starts with uh, the cold seeping back into Blake's boots, and I like that it's like, okay, well, yeah, you had a you had a bit of a high point, but we're back in the cold now. We're back in the <laughs> in the dreary, bleak life that you lead. Yeah, well, because 3.3 and 3.4 were very much, as you said, that that heist. And then it's sort of... 3.4 ended with him getting away. And yep. now 3.5, you sort of feel like it's going to be a continuation of him sort of just getting away and getting back home. And this immediately sort of challenges that, where it's just like, no, he's not quite there yet. Like, he's walking back and he's basically just complaining about how, like, buggered he is right now. Um, yeah, um, this chapter sets itself up definitely to not be a victory lap. Yeah, um, there's a there's a great quote right near the start, like in the second paragraph, uh, where we're talking about Blake's talking about the boots he's wearing. He says, "Unjustly snatched up from where they belonged in the wrong environment." While I tried to figure the fastest, tidiest way of getting rid of them, they're a good metaphor for me, really, or for me and Rose, which is <laughs> depressing. Um, and it really brings us back to the <laughs> depressing mindset that Blake is in for the majority of this story so far. Yeah. And then he follows this up by saying, uh, it says a lot that I'm thinking in crazy abstract metaphors like this. Um, mm. So first of all, I feel attacked. Um, <laughs> but, but secondly, like, you know, this is Blake essentially doing our job for us. Um, yep. It's this dark little insight into his current frame of also state of mind. Um, you know, like he's, he's, he feels like something that was just snatched up and is, you know, being abused essentially. And, um, yeah, pretty grim. Yeah. Um, you know, given how we keep sort of getting told practitioners are kind of like others, um, you know, I'm, I'm starting to wonder how much of this will just stay a metaphor and how much of it will, you know, start to be true that, you know, they're just something that got picked up and, and had their identity (laughs) stolen from them. Yeah. Um, so moving on, we, there's one other thing you pointed out here where when in that quote, Blake says, he refers to me or me and Rose, um, which is fun. Just another little hint of Rose being left to the back here. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I guess it's good that he remembered her at all, but yeah, out of the two of them, she got third billing. Um, yeah. (laughs) Anyway. Um, so Blake kind of is walking back to the house and gets a little startled when somebody is walking up on him, but. Oh, just Dick Swizzle. 
Thank gosh. Uh, <laughs> Dix was on the rose catch up to him, bringing clothes and trinkets and stuff to, to get him back into his regular, you know, outfit to get him feeling a bit more like Blake again. Yeah. This actually answered a little question that I had about Rose, because obviously it's been said that she can go into the house at any point um, and use the mirrors there, but she can only otherwise use mirrors that are near Blake. But I guess she can yep. camp out in a mirror after Blake leaves as well, which could be useful. Like Blake mm. can just go somewhere and leave Rose um, you know, hiding behind a chair or something, uh, in the reflection. <laughs> um, a little surprise, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, I love this bit. Cause it's sort of like, you get the like, oh shit, someone's here. And then it's like, oh, it's just Dick Swizzle. And then as we learn more about Dick Swizzle, it's kind of like, oh, Dick Swizzle. Um, and I think that's a microcosm for this whole chapter where you're sort of like, <laughs> oh no, oh no, it's fine. Oh, no, it's not. <laughs> oh, yeah um we we kind of get more into how just kind of gross the goblins are um which obviously makes sense with the name like dick swizzle but uh, there's a really fun discussion about just like how they make things around them shittier um the clothes that that dick swizzle brought to blake kind of like smell like garbage and rose <laughs> describes how she found herself getting really annoyed and, and thought it'd be very easy to just become unpleasant if you deal with goblins all the time. Yeah, which, you know, sort of is a bit of an interesting insight into Maggie as well. Um, yeah. Because obviously as someone who interacts with goblins. But yeah, it's it's mostly hilarious just listening to Rose sort of vent about how frustrating it was to deal with him for like <laughs> five minutes. Like she's already at the end of her rope after like five minutes with this one goblin who she has control over. Like they must yeah. just be such a pain in the ass. Yeah, yeah, they they don't they're not super um subservient. I guess they follow they follow commands, but they're definitely annoying as hell to be in charge of. Um, yeah, I also noticed like as part of this, Dick Swizzle gets back in the whistle, and I realized we've never actually, mm. as far as I can tell, we've never had a description of how Dick Swizzle gets into and out of the whistle. Like he, he, he I think Dick Swizzle's like the size size of an ape is sort of what we've been told. Yeah, so obviously like some weird magical space stuff must be going on for him to fit in the whistle and that's just sort yeah. of been left up to our imagination uh which is hilarious Look, i think we know that the goblins are unpleasant in almost every aspect i think there's no way to imagine it that doesn't continue that trend <laughs> um so blake and rose are kind of walking and talking as they head back to the house they're just talking about miscellaneous magical things um they eventually get back to how blake looks like she like shit and decide that Blake needs to find some other source of power and they he should go for a familiar first um they they have some good logic here they they're talking about like they don't want to have a situation where Blake needs to rely on a really powerful familiar who could kind of possess him too much a la Briar girl or Vic um yeah so the idea is go for a weaker familiar and then it shouldn't be too much of a threat to you after you use it to get more powerful with your other rituals yeah, yeah, it does make sense. Um, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I guess I'd be bothered because it seems like having a sentient companion um, who actually is powerful enough to do their own stuff would be super useful. Um, mm. So that seems like one you really would want to optimize. But then I think about sacrificing the others for that one, and I hit the same conclusion. So I think I'm just, I think I'm just too busy trying to perfect all three in my head to to be willing to sacrifice <laughs> to one but uh, too much yeah yeah but i i think they're right if there's one that you've got to sort of um sacrifice it's probably the one that's you know arguably the most dangerous once it's completed 
Um, yeah. You know, the the domain is probably the one that I think seems the most dangerous to set up. But once it's once it's set up, you you sweet. Uh, the familiar yeah. one's a bit more of an ongoing threat, depending on who your familiar is. Um, yeah. There's so much I wanted to pull out from the rest of this conversation, though. Um, so <laughs> I, I've trim, I've trimmed out the amount of excerpts I pulled just to save yeah. everyone some time. Um, yeah, we're still working on trying to get our episode lengths <laughs> to a manageable time. <laughs> uh, but I, I love this bit. So they're talking about uh, the, the effect the glamour has had on Blake. And uh, Rose sort of says, you know, tear away the ice while it's set deep in the rock and you might take away some rock with it or see some bits splinter off. Uh, and when that rock wasn't very sturdy to begin with, and Blake sort of cuts in and says, you know, I'd rather say the rock's integrity has been weakened by recent abuse. And Rose Rose responds, yeah, we can say that. We can say that. Which is, mm. <laughs> it, it's very reminiscent of the phrasing uh, Laird was using in his UN uh, discussion all the way back in Arc 1, yeah. where it's like, yeah. no. he's not agreeing, he's not disagreeing, it's also hypothetical, and I can't, like, Really, in this situation, if Rose agreed with him, I don't see why she wouldn't have agreed with him. So, um, I can't help but <laughs> One feel that... One could say that, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it feels like a bit of an insight into how Rose thinks yeah. of Blake. Um, yeah, which obviously implies Rose doesn't think Blake has just been weakened by recent abuse, that he's kind of weak in general, which is pretty heartless. Yeah, I, I would say weak so much as... Um, well, his integrity uh, of yeah, his character, you know. Um. I, I don't think she's completely wrong to say that Blake was already a little unstable before um before, you know, all of this went down. Mm. Like, you know, the sort of person who runs off and lives on the streets in those harsh conditions. Um you know, I think he's even admitted himself a bit that that's not something a super stable person does. Um <laughs> and, and then yep. the, the other the other bit I just had to pull out was uh just before they get to the familiar thing, uh Rose says to Blake, uh, trick number one is figuring out how and when to recuperate, Blake. You keep on tapping this well of personal power when it's nearly dry. And Blake nods, and then Rose just responds, wait, you're actually listening to me? Uh, (laughs) I mean... (laughs) Just hilarious. (laughs) The thing is, Blake has uh, nodded along to what Rose has said before, and that doesn't necessarily mean that he's listening to her, but hopefully we're getting closer to there. Um, Yeah 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 <laughs> yeah that is a fun little beat um and this is a fun part of the chapter up until they get interrupted uh by somebody who says no you couldn't have a fairy as a familiar and they turn around and it's andy uh one of the witch hunters who has just kind of snuck up behind them without them noticing um mm. they they kind of immediately react as though he's about to kill them uh but he denies that and claims that he's just there to kind of keep an eye on them but it's pretty cagey about giving any more answers beyond that. Yeah, and so sort of, you know, I th- pretty much the whole rest of the chapter is just this conversation with Andy as they walk home. Um, and what's quite interesting about it is, like, hidden in amongst it, uh, we're getting some, a bit more details about how witch hunters operate. Um, yeah. And I, I can see why Rose became a bit fixated. They seem pretty strong. Like, he can still lie. Um, all of his connections seem to be masked, which is, like, very useful. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah like, um, there's a there's there's some cool abilities they've got here. There's also a point where uh, Blake kind of threatens him with with June, and Andy's like, "Oh, is that you know a ghost? Okay, it looks pretty well bound. I reckon I can handle it. What do you what have you got?" <laughs> and it's just kind of like, "Oh, he, despite the fact that he's a witch hunter and therefore doesn't kind of have any 
magical power, he still is. He feels very confidently able to deal with some of these threats. Well, yeah, so Blake. It's not like he's weak. Blake calls him out as looking like someone who wouldn't do very well in like a fist fight, and Andy basically confirms that, but seems to imply that it's not going to matter even if you throw like a ghost hatchet at him. Uh, yeah. So there's there's some definitely some some seemingly well placed confidence there. Um, I also like the bit when yeah. when they're threatening him with the hatchet because he's sort of like. Oh, uh, don't waste that hatchet. Like it looks like really intricate work, and it's like meant to be a compliment. <laughs> but uh, obviously, we know that Blake didn't actually do that, so it kind of falls flat, <laughs> which is funny. Yeah, um, I think it's really fun. So, so Andy's around talking to them for a while, and we kind of get some insights into his character. But I, I think it's very fun just having somebody who can lie again. Like, <laughs> yeah, y- you forget what it's like to not have this. To not have all your characters be practitioners who are bound to speak in that kind of practitioner double speak, mm. um, and he just kind of has a normalish conversation, and it's quite nice. <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny, and I kept finding myself because of Andy's like sort of relaxed attitude in all this, and like he is kind of quite blunt. I did find myself mm. just believing him on everything, and they kept reminding me that he could lie, and I feel like Wilbo did have to keep drilling that into me because I think I've been conditioned by everyone else being practitioners and Andy's nice attitude to just instantly believe everything he was saying. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, it, yeah, I think I did need reminding that uh, Andy can't necessarily be trusted based on what he's saying. Yeah, but despite the fact that he technically can lie, you don't get the sense that he's lying. He He... He doesn't even act overtly antagonistic towards Blake. He kind of just is, like, chilling out. And he they're talking about how Andy might eventually have to kill Blake. And Andy's a bit like, oh, I'm sorry about that. But, you know, he, he seems quite just chill on the surface. Yeah, we can add him to the list of people who've told Blake, I'm going to feel a bit bad about killing you, which seems to be a lot bigger than Blake's <laughs> friends list. Um, but I'm still going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> I'll feel bad, but I'll still do it. Uh, yeah, no, but this, um, this whole conversation's great because, uh, as was sort of already said, Andy's just so sort of chill throughout all of it. Like, yeah. he just comes across as, like, just enjoying the conversation a little bit despite himself and, like, you know, he just is engaging in a chat with someone who he kind of connects with a little bit um, and I think Blake sort of feels the same begrudgingly. Uh, yeah. And, and he's also quite condescending of Blake's, like, magic skills throughout all of it, which is fun as well. <laughs> Yeah, I get the sense that that's kind of why he's chill. It's just because he doesn't rate Blake as a threat, like, at all. Yeah, at all. <laughs> um, yep. So throughout this conversation, Blake is trying to, like, reason with Andy, which doesn't work. He's trying to endear himself to Andy to try and form a connection. Doesn't work. Um, well, it kind of works. Andy says that he'll feel bad if he kills <laughs> Blake, but he it won't stop him from actually doing it. Yeah, so this is the flip side to his real relaxed and chill attitude is that, like, when he's sort of unmoving um, and just continues to act chill and it, it's really frustrating. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I like I, I like there's a little bit here where Blake try, tries to pull a trick on him and says, or tries to pull something and says, theoretically, I could be in charge of you one day, couldn't I? And Andy responds, no, you're not going to make it that far. Sorry, <laughs> like Blake's trying to navigate some kind of leverage, like, oh, maybe one day I'll be in charge. And Andy's just like, nah, not going to happen. Yeah, it's like this desperate attempt to be like, oh, you know, you should try and please me a little bit because maybe one day I will be in charge of you. And Andy's just not having any of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Blake eventually gets frustrated at his failure to kind of navigate a way out of being killed by yeah. Andy one day. Well, they're, both of their just... emotional reactions to this are kind of frustrating and believable 
Like Andy's yeah. just sort of like, sorry, I will have to kill you and I feel bad about it, but it is just going to have to be what's done. And Blake is sort of understandably frustrated by this, but even finds himself kind of not hating Andy for it, I think is his direct quote. Yeah. Um, and you know, like Andy's sort of so understanding that he's like, yeah, I get that you sort of have to hate me because I am talking about killing you, but you know, sucks. <laughs> it's, 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 such, it's such a like polite conversation considering and like every, everyone's reactions are actually quite relaxed, uh, and understandable yeah. despite the, the nature of the topic. <laughs> I, I kind of get a bit of the sense that Blake would lash out more if he kind of had the capacity to do so here. <laughs> he just is so like over it, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I guess you can only um, so have Blake... this conversation with people so many times before you get a bit immune to it. <laughs> um, Blake eventually just gets frustrated and decides to keep walking, and uh, Andy's following them. And while they're walking, Rose kind of takes a crack at, at talking to Andy and basically eventually seems to endear herself to him a bit. Um, she offers to be a listening ear to him if he ever needs it, um, but then he kind of rebuffs her after she prods a bit too hard at some of these things. Yeah, this is one of, you know, I've sort of brought up before how Blake is often the one who connects with people on an emotional level and Rose is usually solving the more practitioner parts of the problem. Um, but here it's yeah. a bit of a reversal. She, I think she actually makes a bit more headway in uh, endearing herself to Andy than Blake did even. Um, like she kind of, she kind of meets Andy on that same level of just being really chill and being like, yep, yeah, these are the facts, you know, take it or leave it, whatever. Um, yeah. and, and it works quite well. Maybe endearing herself isn't the right word because, you know, Andy does get annoyed at her, but she she kind of at least gets some reaction. She makes some kind of difference, you know? Um, well, and I think it's I think that's important as well because throughout the whole conversation, I very much got the sense from Andy, like, he was treating her as an other or, or something lesser than, than human. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, he specifically addresses her at the start as just vestige. Um, yeah. like he doesn't sort of care about her name. And then there's a point where he, he calls out to Blake and says, your pet is starting to irritate me. Um, which Blake yeah. just responds good. Um, yeah, we need to talk about that as well because <laughs> Blake just doesn't, doesn't counter the implication, not the implication, the statement yeah. that Rose is his pet, um, which is, yeah. you know, would be understandable kind of, but thinking about it in the context of how eager Blake was to refute the, oh, it's a hatchet, not an axe, every time someone <laughs> misnamed June, it does feel kind of like he's willing to do it for June but not for Rose. It feels a bit weird. Well, yeah, I mean, we've had him specifically notice that uh, Rose is bringing up things <clears throat> like their relationship is a sore point. Um, yeah. So it does seem like it's something. It's a point worth clarifying. Um, I mean, he's not totally <laughs> negative. Like he does kind of take her side in that he's like, yeah, you know, he backs up her play, which is which is nice. But it, yeah, it yeah. it does stand out that he doesn't fight that implication. He doesn't. He just says, <laughs> "Yep, good." He doesn't even. I, maybe he's just over arguing with Andy in general there, though. <laughs> um, so they've been walking and talking for a while, and eventually they reach the house, or they they come close to the house, and and Blake kind of notices that Andy is just acting a little bit too intense, kind of staring at him a bit too much right now, um, and Blake starts looking for signs of the ritual. Um, he 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 recalls back to the pamphlet the sigils that were on there, and kind of thinks about where they should be mapped out based off of the pamphlet. Um, and finds these sigils that indicate that the ritual has happened, and starts kind of hearing the tock, 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 and realizes that he's fucked. Um, mm. The house has been surrounded by an effect of slowed time, meaning that it would take weeks or even a month 
just to walk up the driveway. Yeah. Oh, man, a time field is such a Stargate staple. I should have seen it coming. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, um, I mean, you know, I, I said that they didn't have to wait a week uh, to redo the ritual, but even I didn't expect it yeah. to happen in the, what, 45 minutes that seems to have taken place. Um, yeah. Um, so Andy kind of exposits that Sandra and Lard were sent to the police station together. Sandra was able to easily enough manipulate the connections to get them free. They figured out what happened, went back to the house, finished the ritual before Blake even got home. <laughs> and uh, that's it. Uh, like, Blake kind of immediately realises, oh, we're fucked. There's nothing we can do to to kind of counter this at this point. Mm. Um, um, yeah. Yeah. So... Blake calls the lawyers and asks, hey, can you undo this? And they basically say, well, not for a price that you're willing to pay. And so Blake uh, arranges for passage back to Toronto, um, back home. Yeah. And, and so, so ends Jacob's Bell. <laughs> yeah, that's the last we ever saw of this barely set up town. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, I think I think this will be cool going to Toronto for a bit. So first of all, I think Blake confirmed in 3.3, but, like, I don't think it was mentioned at the start. Like, I'm assuming Toronto is where he was living. Um, Yeah, Toronto is where he was at the start of the story when he left his landlord's, you know, his house. Yeah, so he's essentially going back home, which is probably good for for his mental health. Um, I think it'll also give the the story a bit of breathing room um, because, you know, it's like with this small town, it's been so much pressure, I think, going somewhere where he's a bit more of a nobody. Um, yep. will probably help things, um, and then he just needs to come yeah, um, up come up for those meetings to catch the train or yeah. something. I'm sure the story will kind of slow down a bit. It won't be super <laughs> intense like it has been so far. It will be uh, less intense, less pressure. Yeah. Uh, no, but I like this bit. Uh, so you, you brought up uh, in the notes where you the, the, the whole thing with Andy um, just sort of chatting to them uh, yeah. as this whole thing was going down was very... A bit of a power play by Led and Sandra. Like I like the idea. You know, if they <laughs> if they just wanted Blake's reaction, they could have told yeah. Andy to be covert. And in fact, I'm yeah. I'm convinced that the covertness would have been something that would have been clarified as Andy was sent oh, on this yeah. mission. So he, by default, Andy would have been covert for sure. Exactly. So he was basically told to just engage them in conversation and yeah. and see how it goes which definitely feels like a bit of a fuck you move again by led just <laughs> it's like it's such a it's such a led move it's like <laughs> you know like andy didn't need to ensure the message gets across in that way <laughs> yeah. it's really just led just giving a big old fuck off i told you so through andy it, it's great it's such a led move yeah um but i'm really excited for the story to head to toronto i don't know if it, how long it's going to last like if it'll be an arc or more but um it feels like you know there's going to be so much more flexibility to to have stuff going on beyond you know Jacob's Bell was so contained and and we'll come back here and and see see things here again I'm sure but um yeah Toronto is going to have so much more freedom um mm. and one other thing I noticed uh as, as sort of Blake was talking to the lawyers um he so in in back in the very first chapter he sort of judged his yep. parents for not being able to find him when the lawyers were able to so easily. And that seemed yeah. fair, but now we know more about the lawyers. And I've got to say, that doesn't really seem like a fair criticism anymore. <laughs> um, I mean, I get that he... I think it's implied by him that he felt mortal lawyers should be able to find him. Um, yeah. So, you know, his his overall criticism is probably still fair, but uh, 
you know, it doesn't really seem fair to compare mortals to the lawyers now that we know more about them. Yeah, I mean, look, it sounds like you just want to come out and say it, Elliot. Blake's parents did nothing wrong. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's good, just a, that's good just parents. That's just your opinion. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I, I think you're right. I think the lawyers being what they are, it maybe detracts from that criticism a bit, but I think it's probably still valid. <laughs> I mean, you definitely get the sense that they kind of just moved on with the newborn and forgot about Blake. Yeah, it definitely does seem like they tried as hard as they could. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, that's that's uh, Breach 3.5. Um, yeah. Yeah, I like this chapter. It's it's obviously a bit of a wind-down chapter, but it, mm. it it's just a fun... The conversations between Blake and Rose and Andy are just quite... Fun. They're engaging and they're fun to read through. And then the cliffhanger is great. I love it. <laughs> yeah, well, because we just had two really tense, uh, you know, chapters to round out the the majority of the arc. And so this is very much just sort of the conclusion that sort of diverts into just some real heavy character study stuff. Um, like we yeah. meet Andy and the first half is dominated by that Blake and Rose conversation as well. So, yeah, it was fun. And uh, I, I can't wait to see where we go with arc four. All these crazy yeah. new Toronto characters. I'm sure. I'm sure things will be very <laughs> normal in Toronto. Yep, it'll just be a Blake will just relax, take some downtime <laughs> for a few weeks, and everything will be fine. Uh, so we're gonna dive into some comments from exactly five years ago when this story first came out. Um, yep, and I, I picked one out that talks more about the conversation between Andy and Blake because I it raised this really interesting idea that sorry these comments were by a uh, Big Jeff Five and Nega Darkwing. Uh, talking about the idea that Andy and Blake are kind of reflections of each other. Mm. Like, Blake and Andy have a similar background of having distance from any kind of real family and having this big obligation kind of forced upon them. Um, and I guess Rose is kind of included in that too because she's <laughs> literally a, refre- a reflection of Blake. Um, yes. It, it just, it, it, it kind of adds another dimension to this conversation, thinking about these three characters all kind of, coming to this natural um, conflict based off of just the circum- <clears throat> similar circumstances setting them up. Um, I thought it was an interesting comment that I really enjoyed. Yeah, because we, we did sort of skip over a little bit how um, <clears throat> how Blake and Andy connected a little bit over kind of what sounds like sort of similar circumstances, at least in a big picture yeah. sense. Um, yeah. And I'm excited. I'm sure we'll get more details on Andy's side of things in the future, and I'm very much looking forward to that and seeing how it compares because... Uh, yeah, especially after reading this comment, I agree that Andy is in many ways seemingly being set up to connect uh, to Blake uh, in some ways. Yeah. Uh, and so then I've pulled out a comment by Stephen Zero Owen, uh, which, you know, you kind of pulled out uh, one that already hit the interesting literary angle. Uh, so I'm just pulling out one that was an interesting comment, but it's more in-universe. Um, so essentially, it, we, we now have a giant time bubble around the house that's seemingly in, well, impenetrable. Yeah. It's like a, a ring. So it's important to note that it doesn't actually affect the house itself. It affects the area around the house yes. to make entry and exit into the house impossible. For, you know, yeah, because the, because the house itself is untouchable for various reasons, including being largely a domain. Um, yeah. But uh, So Stephen Zero Owen pointed out that... Um, you know, one of the issues with claiming a domain is that basically everyone in the area who wants a piece of you can come and, and seemingly, like, you know, fight your claim. So yep. if, if Blake can find some way to teleport into the house, um, presumably he can stake a bunch of unused portions of the house. You know, it's unclear how much 
how much wiggle room he'd have there. But uh, the time field may either interrupt people's ability to see his claim or interrupt their ability to get in. Or if they get in, then they might have to weaken or break the spell. Um, I just like this plan of, you know, somehow yeah. teleporting into the house and taking advantage of Led's spell to set up a, d- a domain. It seemed like such a good idea. Uh, I it loved is a it. good trick. Um, I it might not even have to be teleporting because we, we don't know that it's a like a bubble around the house. We know that it's there. Like it could be extending upwards for all we know, right? No, well, you so want, it, you you want like, him to parachute in. Yeah, parachute in or like dig your <laughs> way under it and dig back up the other side. <laughs> you never know. Um, it could just be like a fence of time distortion rather than a, you know, a bubble around it. Um, anyway, just yeah, get a I big just... ladder, Blake, climb up over <laughs> and try and jump and see what happens. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I just loved this comment. I thought that was a super interesting take on how to twist uh, something negative done to them around to their advantage, which yeah. is probably yeah. something you're going to want to do a lot in, in the world of Pact. Well, yeah, especially if you're Blake and you don't have too much of a power yeah. base. If someone's casting a really powerful doing... spell, you really want to... Yeah. yeah, everyone's doing bad things towards you. If you can figure out how to spin those around, then everyone's yeah. doing your work for you. <laughs> and better than you could do it. Um, yep. <laughs> That brings us to the end of Breach 3.5. We have uh, one chapter left in Arc 3, Breach, which is um, an interlude, 3.x. That'll be coming out on the 1st of March, March Fool's Day, as we call it, um, just in a few days. Uh, But in the meantime, if you want to chat about what has just gone down in this chapter, you can do so by heading to the discussion threads that are in our show notes in the episode description down below and chatting to us about it on Reddit. Yes, you can also find out more details on this episode and the show in general by heading to our website, doofmedia.com. Yep. From doofmedia.com, you will have a way to support the show. Um, we're, we're coming up on finishing our third arc now, and we're really happy with the response that the show has gotten. Um, if you want to kind of shape the way the show goes moving forward, feel free to kind of leave the comments for us or uh, back the show if you're enjoying what you're hearing on our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash doofmedia. And while you're on Patreon, you can also check out Wildbo's Patreon. Um, he creates these stories for us to kind of explore and, and slowly slowly work our way through. Uh, so if you if, if you enjoy the base story that we're going through here, um, you can check out patreon.com slash Wildbo. Yeah. And uh, so I guess that's everything. Yep. Um, we will see you in a few days for uh, the final chapter of Breach 3.x. 